This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. American Ballpark. It's the Better Off Red Podcast. Here's your host, Jamie Ramsey. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Better Off Red Podcast. We're coming to you from beautiful Goodyear, Arizona, where the Reds are in the midst of their 2016 Cactus League schedule. Currently, there are 62 players in Reds camp, including 34 pitchers, 7 catchers, 10 infielders, 11 outfielders, and 23 non-roster invitees. Players on the 40-man roster who are out of options include Homer Bailey, Yvonne DeJesus Jr., Brandon Phillips, Jorman Rodriguez, and Blake Wood. MLB.com reporter Mark Sheldon will join me in a second to discuss the state of the Reds team, the direction the franchise is taking, as well as Mark's early observations from camp. Mark also tells us some stories from his many years as a baseball beat writer. But first, let's get to some new music from the very talented Tal and the Get Down, Stay Down. Their new album is called A Man Alive, and this is the first cut called Astonished Man. guest today is longtime baseball writer Mark Sheldon. Mark has been with MLB.com since its first year in 2001 and is entering his 16th season as a baseball beat writer. From 2001 to 2005, he was on the Minnesota Twins beat before moving to Cincinnati to write about the Reds before the 2006 season. It was a homecoming of sorts for Mark. Although he hails from the New York area, He went to the University of Cincinnati and spent several years working at various Cincinnati media outlets. This is Mark Sheldon. Here we are at the Reds Player Development Complex in Goodyear, Arizona with the very talented, revered, admirable, amenable Mark Sheldon of MLB.com. Mark follows the Reds or covers the Reds on a day-to-day basis. Mark, how you doing, man? Jamie, it's great to be in your octagon. I'm doing great. Uh, anytime I'm invited into your dojo is a good day. Very good. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you coming on. We've had uh, the likes of John Fay on in the past, as well as some former players. You have some big shoes to fill. I'm fully aware of that, but I'm going to bring my A game and then see what we can do. <laughs> All right, well, let's get right into it. Uh, Mark, you've been a, a a dear friend of mine for many years on the Reds beat. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to be where you are today and um you know how long you've been you know covering baseball and all that kind of good stuff 
Yeah, this is my 16th season in covering baseball, all with MLB.com. And the last 11 have now uh, been with the, on the Reds beat. I uh, started out in 01. I uh, was working in Cincinnati at uh, Channel 5's website, WLWT's website was called ChannelCincinnati.com, the worst name in website history. Uh, but we, we we launched that website, and the company was uh, that ran it was from Minnesota named Internet Broadcasting Systems, and our boss went to the Twins to be the COO, and I, I opportunistically sent him a resume and said, hey, uh, do you guys need anyone for your website? And he said, well, we don't run the websites anymore. I don't have any say in when, anything that happens. Uh, it's now run by this new operation, MLB.com, but I will be happy to give you a reference. And he did. And they called me, and I ended up taking the job as the one of the writers covering the Twins, and I did that for five seasons. And then uh, having uh, my wife being from Cincinnati, and we had our first son, and we didn't really have any relatives of any kind up in Minneapolis, we decided it was time to come back to Cincinnati. And luckily, the the Reds beat for whatever reason was a revolving door. There's a few different guys that came and went, and I was able to come down and and become a permanent fixture. And uh, so so this is a season eleven, and it's been a real uh, fun ride so far. Now, did you have any journalism experience? Like, did you go to school for journalism or anything like that, or did it just kind of you you blossomed into an internet writer, and then it kind of just went from there? Yeah, definitely uh, a non-linear career path. Uh, definitely not a journalism major. I went to the University of Cincinnati, and I was going to be uh, a lawyer. I wanted to be. I was a political science major. I had interest in law and politics, and and that's where I was thought I was headed. But as my mother pointed out, I spent very little time at the law library. <laughs> I think I spent more time at Uncle Woody's in the law library, which was across the street, and. Uh, but I was very interested in journalism at the time. I, I really liked TV news, and I watched a lot of news uh, in, in Cincinnati, especially with Channel 5. Was at the time, the, the juggernaut was Jerry Springer and Norma Rashid and that yeah. group. Oh, wow. yeah. And I, a friend of mine at Uncle Woody's, as it happened to be, was an intern for Channel 5. And I said, hey, how do you get a job doing that? How do you get to be an intern? And she's like, talk to this person, and you know, I'll give you a reference if you need it and whatever. So I did, and Jerry was no longer there by the time I got there. Uh, but uh, in the, my senior year, six months before graduation, I interned at Channel 5, and the very first hour I was there, I was sent on a three-alarm fire somewhere on the west side at a factory, and I was hooked. And I was like, I was interviewing the fire chief. I was three feet away from a fire. I was standing in dirty water, and I just thought this was the greatest thing in the world. And... I stayed for two internships. I got to do one quarter, and then I did another quarter, and that turned into a job at Channel 12 uh, part-time on the assignment desk. And I did that for a while and then went to Channel 2 in Dayton for like three months or four months and then back to Channel 5 for two years as an assignment editor. And I really had the fever of, of news. And then I went to ESPN uh, for a couple of years after that as an assignment editor and lost all my love for TV. Uh, realized I was bored out of my mind, and, and I kind of – reevaluated and ended up into the internet side and started writing and the rest kind of took off. So explain a little bit about why ESPN ruined it for you. <laughs> this could be giving me a lot of trouble. Uh, awful announcing is listening. Uh, nothing. It was nothing about ESPN so much. It was that I moved there. Didn't know a soul. I lived in, uh, in Connecticut outside of Hartford. The ESPN of course is in famed and bucolic Bristol, Connecticut. And I use air quotes for bucolic. Uh, it's a rough 
place to be when you're 25, 26. You're working till three in the morning. You're, you, it's a bedroom community. There's no hitting the streets. There's really no nothing to do. And it, and you're a very you're a flea in a very giant environment. It's just a huge place. It's even bigger now. So it, it was just a hard place to find my way. I didn't have the same love for that area as I did for Cincinnati. You know, I, I grew up in the New York area, and I thought for sure moving to Connecticut would be no big deal because I grew up, you know, I'd be two hours from my home. Right. And I found that I became kind of more Midwestern in that time I was in Cincinnati, and I was like, man, I really miss Cincinnati. And I just didn't like being at a desk. I didn't like pushing paper. I wanted to be out and doing stories. I asked to do some stuff every now and again, and once in a while, as a one of my jobs was working on RPM Tonight, the auto racing show. So I actually did get to go to Daytona and the Atlanta Motor Speedway, and I got to go to an uh, IndyCar race in Miami. So I did get to get out once in a while, but it wasn't enough for me to keep me interested. And I was bored pushing paper, and I wanted to do something else. And I basically quit my job with nothing lined up. I moved back to Cincinnati without a job. I went to Xavier for grad school, just at sports administration, maybe to do something what you're doing. Uh, media relations and and uh, I was two credits shy from getting my master's degree when I took the job at MLB.com. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Have you ever thought about going back and get those two credits? Yeah, my mom, uh, my wa- my mom and my wife are all over me that I should do it, and I've I've danced with it a little bit, but I've just never got around to it. It's probably too late. But uh, I, after putting in that effort, and I did pretty good at Xavier. I thought I you know I should have finished, but. The, the chance to go to the take this job and do what I really loved just overrode everything. How is uh, what you do now writing and covering a, a major league baseball team similar to uh, what you did at channel five and channel 12 and even, even at ESPN. It's totally different. Um, at, on those jobs, my job was to absorb whatever information was coming in and, and hearing what news was happening and then coordinating the coverage. Basically, if there was a channel five, if there was a, a fire, if you know like when john mcsherry died uh, at the ballpark on opening day a few you know that year you know we made sure we had crews going to the stadium and i had to make sure who was going to be live who was going to be doing this and that's kind of what i did the job now is it's my i'm the one that gets the information and i'm the one that disseminates the information and i think i find that much more rewarding i like being on the inside rather than the outside and um i'm and i definitely think just being in, uh, I don't know if embedded is the right word, but being in the clubhouse and being a credentialed person inside the the, the situation has, has opened my eyes to journalism in a different way as far as how you cover things, getting both sides of the story, being fair, being able to write something and then go back the next day and have somebody say, we didn't like what you wrote, or we did like what you write, you wrote it fair. And I think that's, that's what journalism is. And I think I've learned more about journalism covering baseball than I ever would have covering other uh, non-sports beats. How is it like going into, you know, you, you said you had the first love and you had the fever for news, uh, and then it turned into something else where you eventually found out that, you know, maybe this isn't what I want, but you fell in love with something that kind of branched off the news thing. Just going into it, how much, like, for those listening, you know, at home in this perspective, like folks that are trying to get into this business, how much does luck um have into play because my personal situation I it was a lot of luck I, I can't say that you know of course I worked hard to get to where I am but you know you have to be lucky is that right absolutely 100% it was all about being in the right place at the right time it was asking and being opportunistic it was hey my friend at the bar how'd you get that internship it was hey guy that just left to go work for the twins you know can I give you my resume and then it happened to be there was an opening 
both of those times. And when it came down to wanting to come back to Cincinnati, there had to be an opening, and I was incredibly lucky. But then once you get the opening and you get through the door, it's up to you. And, and that's not luck. That's that's interviewing well. That's hard work. That's showing that you're not lazy. That's showing that you're willing to go the extra mile to do a story, to get a story, and to report on it. And I think it, it definitely have to – sometimes you have to create your own luck. Yeah, and, and you kind of mentioned that. And I think a lot of folks that, you know, are, are, are that are Reds fans – um, that you know follow the team on a day to day basis. I think they appreciate what you do, what Trent does, what other uh, folks do, the John Fay does on a day to day basis. But one thing that you do that isn't required from a lot of folks that a lot of media outlets that cover the team, you're kind of responsible for coming up with content every single day of the year, not just the six months that the Reds are playing on the field, but rather you pretty much post a story every day on MLB.com, right? Yeah, uh, during the offseason, it's Monday through Friday for sure. Obviously, you're always on call. I mean, news could happen Saturdays and Sundays, evenings, holidays. It doesn't matter. So, yeah, you're always on on top of things. And then, of course, during the season, it's it's just a product of where the sports is now. There is really no offseason anymore. Uh, you know, the NFL has done a really nice job I don't always like hearing it all the time just because I get, I get tired of hearing about football 24-7, 365, but they've done a masterful job in creating interest in the, in the sport when there's not even a, a ball being thrown. And I think baseball is getting to that too, where there's always going to be trades. There's always going to be trade talks. There's always going to be trade rumors. There's going to be free agent news. There's going to be player attrition. There's going to be all sorts of things happening. And when there's nothing happening, there's going to be feature stories to write. There's going to be new players to get to know. And there's always something you can write. And it's just waking up in the morning and thinking about what am I going to do today? Some days you have it all planned out for the week and then you have it all blown up by news and you just never know what might happen. But that's part of the reasons why I love the job is that whether it's off season or in season, every day is different. You never know what you're going to get. You mentioned breaking news. Do you have any like horror stories of, you know, maybe being out to dinner with your family and something happens that you have to, you know, kind of, ditch the family to get to a computer real fast to, to, to report a trade or a, a piece of news? I've had a few. The, the one that really crushed me on a personal level more than anyone is uh, we had gotten through an entire spring training and I left one day early uh, to fly home in 2012 just because it was the day before the last game. It didn't, I wanted to get back and get ready for the season. And on that last day while I was uh, – I had took a red eye – and I, it was my son's third birthday, and we were at the park, and we were going to have a whole day. And I may have been home for two hours when the news got out that Joey Votto had agreed to a 10-year contract. And I was like, later, dude. I have to go, and I'm so sorry. And I, it, it, and then I was up all day, and I felt horrible about it. And he was, and my family has always been supportive of this opera, you know, this job, and they understand. But that, on a, that hurt me a little bit, but obviously it's part of the job. I mean, I've had one time we were at the movies on my off day, and I noticed in the sixth inning of a game against the Giants in like 2013 or 2014, Homer Bailey had a no hitter going. And I, we were luckily we saw the movie; it was over. We kind of blew off the ice cream, I think. And we, I got in the car and, and came back down to the ballpark and got to the cover the last two innings of Bailey's uh, no hitter and write all the sidebars. I, I didn't write, write the game story itself. My my trusty uh, associate reporter took care of that, Jeremy Warnermund. But uh, I, th- I wrote like three or four stories off of that, and that's kind of what, what happens. Yeah, I remember that that time in 2012 when Joey Votto signed, I, and, and you were in the running, I remember, for Father of the Year. 
and then that that day that you just ruined it you, yeah. you, you ruined it i was toast uh, I'll, I'll never win father of the year awards i just try to be present <laughs> when i can and just do my best and, and luckily i my kids don't know any better they know that one time i was playing video games with my one of my sons and Aroldis Chapman got traded. This just this winter, and it happens. And yeah. it, luckily, I was home and I was ready to have a you know I had a story ready to go because I thought he'd be traded all winter. So mm-hmm. that's another thing is I try to mitigate some of this surprises to be aware that things like that could happen. If if like Jay Bruce was to be traded, I have a, Dre, a Jay Bruce story in the can ready to go with some blanks. You know, Jay Bruce was traded to blank, yeah. and yeah. you just have to be prepared. That 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 way you're you're not completely you know caught off base you've been in this business for you know quite some time now like you mentioned how has social media changed your uh your direction on how to do your day-to-day job it's really changed everything uh it's also made the job i mean it sounds funny but the internet job is always 24 7 in a way but there was a point where you felt like you could go to bed and wake up without worrying about you know, you always wake up and you check the newspaper, but now you, I wake up, I check Twitter and I check Facebook and I check other outlets and it's social media has just become so immediate and there's just no let up. And it's, it's, that's another thing about the off season is it's, there's always something being reported and you want to be on top of everything. And most of all, you want to be the one reporting it right. ahead of Ken Rosenthal and John Heyman and the Inquirer or anyone else. So it's that part. And then of course with the fans, there's an immediate reaction to things. Uh, fans want to ask you questions and I want to respond to them as best as I can. And there's a lot of give and take and that that's part of it too. And you also kind of see what people are interested in. So maybe, Hey, what we haven't heard much about Devin Mazzarocco in a while. What's new with him. And that might, for whatever reason, if I was asleep at the wheel that day, or I just had other things on my mind, it reminded me, maybe I should ask what's going on with that player. Yeah. And I think that's been a very useful way too. Yeah. So it's been more helpful for you than negative. Would you say that? On the, if you had to net it out, yeah. I mean, I've had some days where uh, Twitter is, is not fun to be on. Very unforgiving. Very unforgiving. And I've had to, uh, you know, truth be told, there's probably some people listening that I have muted or blocked on Twitter. <laughs> and I do not apologize for that. <laughs> you probably annoyed me. So, so, but I think overall, Twitter is a, a very good tool for this job. And it's a good way to get news. And I, you know, if you want to, Follow M underscore Sheldon, by all means, have at it. Gratuitous plug. You mentioned before Ken Rosenthal, John Heyman. Uh, I know you're competing with those guys. Do you find that competition to be helpful for you, a healthy competition, or is it something that uh, I know a lot of people, certain people have strong opinions on uh, on the national, on those types of uh, media outlets reporting and what they report and what they don't report and how they go about obtaining their news. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you compete with them and whether you think that's a healthy competition? It's, it's, it is, I, I'm a very competitive person and this is going back to news at channel five. I would be mad if channel nine had something that channel five didn't have. And I'm mad if the Enquirer has something that I don't have. And I'm mad if Ken Rosenthal has something I don't have. I want to be first. I want to be, but I also want to be right. Yeah. And that's the m- most important thing. I will sacrifice being first over either, Hey, being right or having a more thorough story. Like if John Heyman just tweets out one line about a signing but nothing else. I'd like to be at least the guy that provides the depth of the coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be unhealthy and can maybe not always easy because sometimes the national guys, they have more sources than I will have. They have sources, not just with the team, 
but they may be, you know they may have the other team like if the Reds lost out on a trade to Team X, well they know maybe Team Y had the scoop on it because they were in on the deal too and they may have provided one of those national guys with that side you know that story there's all sorts of ways to get stories and information and sources and i have my sources and I'm, i try to do my best to, to to use them when i can but somebody always has more sources and but it's a constant competition i'm aware of the fact that ken rosenthal can change my plans on a moment's notice with the breaking news story and maybe once in a while i can change his plans yeah, and, and and to compare it, I guess to make a comparison between writers and you know college basketball coaches, the hundred percent of their job is not coaching basketball. Some a lot of their job is you know teaching uh, and recruiting. So with that being said, if you as a writer, as a guy that covers the Reds, how much of your job is building up your resources and your your references and your sources? Well, it is, but it's not like one of those things where I wake up and say, hey, I need to build up sources today. It really just comes with being around mm-hmm. and showing my face in the clubhouse every day and, and having players get to know you. I mean, when Todd Frazier first walked into the Reds clubhouse for the first time as a spring training first time in camp guy, it wasn't like, hey, Todd, you're my source now. Give me information. But it's one of those things you ask questions, you write about them, you're fair, and they, they know who you are. And and that's just not just players, it's anybody. If you treat people fairly, they'll treat you fairly. I, I always really go by the treat people how you want to be treated, and I've, I've always tried to be nice to people. I don't suck up to people, but I'm also uh, keenly aware of the fact that they're paying attention to what I'm writing, and I, I have to respect the fact that they may not want to talk to me, and that's cool if they don't. Um, but just being around every day, people sometimes want to tell you stuff and sometimes they don't. And it's, it's, it's fine either way. And I do the best I can. And I, the bottom line is I just want to be complete. I don't want to leave something out. I don't want to miss something. And I certainly, most importantly, don't want to get anything wrong. Yeah. And I guess kind of where I was going with the, uh, with the sources and things like that is the relationship aspect of this game. How important would you say is it to, uh, have healthy relationships with not just, you know, uh, the guys that are in the clubhouse or playing or have a number on their back, but, you know, like the clubhouse guys like Rick Stowe or Rob Butcher, the director of media relations, or Gary Wayoff, traveling secretary, people like that. I think it's hugely important. I, I don't um, – I mean, obviously, jobs, the job is the job. Journalism is journalism. News is news. And, and Rob's going to protect the the clubhouse – of course, and I'm, it's my job to get news. And sometimes there's going to be news that he doesn't want me to get. And that's the way it's going to be. But sometimes I do get it. Um, but I think relationships are everything. I mean, the reason why the national guys are so good is they've got relationships with people. And that's why I respect them so much. They, I can't give Ken Rosenthal enough respect because he's earned it from just being when he was a beat guy and being present there and then doing it on a national level. And I think relationship building is very important. I mean, I like a lot of the people that are associated around either the Twins or the Reds for my years, I like them personally very much. And sometimes there's a job to do, and sometimes liking someone personally is at odds with what you have to write about. But I think ultimately, I think relationship building is something that's very important to me. I like to be a, a, a people person. I'm interested in people. I'm interested in people's lives, even if I never write about them. You know, There's people here that I've talked to for years, and I've never written a single story about them, but I've just enjoyed their company, and I they provide perspective that... I may not have gotten just by talking to one person. 
Now, there's been some some news. I guess news has been in the news lately as far as uh, the folks that cover sports or even, you know, the the news gathering folks that have been in the news like Aaron Andrews has been in the news. I know the whole Gawker versus Hulk Hogan issue has been in the news. Um, there's a line now and it seems to be more salacious. News outlets are trying to get as much coverage and much of the behind the scenes as they possibly can. How hard is it for you? I, I know you're, you know, you're not in that type of, you know, trying to find the scandal or anything, but at some point there is a line though that you do not cross and has it been has it been tough for you in the past like should i write this should i write that should i should i mention this should i tweet that do you have any examples that you personally remember that you thought maybe that you were going up against the line a little bit no i don't think i ever saw a line that i I shouldn't touch. I mean, if somebody tells me something's off the record, I respect that. I also try to make sure that if it's off the record, maybe I can at least report on it without naming the person that involved. Um, but I definitely think that the whole salaciousness of the and the 24-hour cycle of social media, getting back to that earlier, has changed how things go. I mean, I think, you know, when Hal McCoy was doing this in the 70s and those other reporters, they could have conversations with players and they could see them out and about and it was never a big deal. And now, you know, there's no socializing between players and media. They're very rare. And a lot of that is because they're very wary of being caught on social media doing something. I mean, just the other night in Scottsdale, Brock Osweiler of the Broncos, is, you know, gets into a dust-up outside a pizza place, and it's on ESPN, and they're talking about whether he's gonna, it's going to cost him millions. And now you got players that are just as worried about that. And it doesn't mean they're out doing anything bad, but they just don't want to be – constantly on they don't want to have everything they do reported on in social media and if they're seen at a night spot or if they're out having dinner and someone tweets about it and it's that's you know they don't like that necessarily if it's coming from a media person obviously fans are going to do that but i think with the with the 24-hour news cycle it's they're a little wary about being around writers and, and journalists all the time away from the park very good Give us some of the, uh, give us some names of some of the guys that you've uh, enjoyed covering over the years. You were, of course, a, a, a writer for the. You covered the Twins and now the Reds for eleven years. Give us some names. Who who have you enjoyed the most? I think over in Minnesota, I really did enjoy Tory Hunter, uh, who just retired the most. Uh, he was not only a very personable player, and he understood the game and he understood the big picture of things, but he also could just talk to you like a person. And but watching him play, he would lay out. On defense, on defense, like no one I've seen, he would, you know, he, back then there was AstroTurf on the in the Metrodome, and I'd see he'd burn like part of his goatee off on the turf, or he melted buttons on his jersey, and just talking to him though was was a real pleasure for the years I was there. Uh, I also enjoyed Ron Garden, hired the manager a lot. I got to know him over the years, the five years, and he was always great to deal with. Uh, and then some of the players like Doug Mankiewicz, um Denny Hawking, and a few others were always just decent guys to, to talk to and they were interesting guys uh, you know Minkiewicz was always kind of a kind of a you know live wire sometimes yeah. he could be really easy to going and sometimes he can kind of be get a little red with you yeah. so that was interesting and then over here on the Reds uh I'm sure Bronson Arroyo is, is about the only one that's going to say this but he's always been I think him and Torrey Hunter probably are equal in terms of best guys I've dealt with in this job uh again he's another guy that understood the game not just what was right in front of him but it was all around him he he knew the issues. You could go up to him and ask him about, you know, steroids, uh, you know, r rules, anything that came up that was new. 
he could provide a perspective on it that no one else could. Uh, Todd Frazier was great to deal with. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, uh, who else? Um, Dusty. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, Dusty was uh, as a manager, you couldn't have asked for a guy that to be more media uh, savvy and very good with the relationship with the media. But he also what made Dusty interesting was that he was interesting, and he was not a guy that only talked about baseball. He could relate to a young guy. He related to my interns and he relates to old people and everyone in between and not just about just baseball, but other sports, but also music, wine, <laughs> you know, solar power, <laughs> you name it. He yeah. could talk about it. And I, I think the people in Washington are finding that out now that he is not just a two dimensional person. Mark, you always have a, uh, a way with words. We laugh about this on a day to day basis you dropped one on me yesterday that I don't think I heard. Goat rodeo. Can you explain what a goat rodeo is? It's just a hot mess. You know, what kind of goat rodeo you run in here? You know, it's just when things are kind of going awry. And I have to be honest with you, I, I, I've sampled that one from a, 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 an old, the Jim Day of Minnesota. His name was Clay Matvick. He was the Fox Sports North uh, reporter. And he'd go, what kind of goat rodeo is this? You know, and I just thought that was funny. And I, I one day, I, I hadn't heard it in years. And one day came up. And I just say, and it's just one of the words, you know, and I know there's another phrase I turned that you like in a wood shampoo as well. I'm a big wood shampoo fan. Can you explain to the folks what that is? So they don't think that there's any like, you know, disgusting yeah. hidden meanings. Well, it's a little different nowadays, but, but especially with the police relations, but I had a friend, my best friend as a kid in, in school growing up, his older brother was a police officer. And I, and the joke was if you were getting the baton, to your head or wherever you were getting the wood shampoo. Obviously things are a little different nowadays, but it's still a funny phrase. And, and bar motel is another crime related, uh, saying that you like to drop from time to time. Yeah. I got, I got a few, I'm never going to be as good as Marty Brenneman. I, and I know this, but, but yours are PG though. At least mine are PG. I can, I can go blue once in a while, but I, I, I try not to, I try to keep it PG. And speaking of blue, uh, one of the things that I know about you that one of your pet peeves in this game is when folks refer to umpires as blue, as in, come on, blue. How did this annoyance begin? You know, I really don't know, but it's something that it always bugged me. And then I made the mistake of voicing this uh, opposition one day here in Goodyear. We were sitting and watching a game and some guy said, you know, Come on, Blue, watch the game or something. And I said it, of course, around you, and now it's become a an ongoing uh, point of derision where uh, you like to, to tweak that, that that button a little bit every now and again. And, of course, just last night I, I see you I'm, you know, in the ninth inning of the game and right by the field, and no sooner than five seconds we heard it twice. You know, man, this is – a lot of people say you guys have dream jobs and I can't really disagree. We have such a, a, a great job in itself just on paper, but, and we talked about it earlier with the relationships and you and I are great friends and isn't it? I mean, it's just nice to be able to laugh and have a good time with this. Wouldn't you agree? Like just to have a good time with what you're doing. Cause I mean, you know, we're not splitting the atom here where it's the game of baseball and the relationships you make and the friends that you make and to be able to enjoy it and share it with, with your friends is something else, isn't it? Absolutely. It's not only are we not splitting atoms, but we're also not digging ditches. And we're we're very lucky to be doing what we're doing. Uh, I, I know I'm lucky to be doing what I'm doing. And one of the things I really like is, it, you know, people always ask me about who the about the players and stuff. And the people that I'm going to remember 
far after this job is over isn't just the players. It's going to be the people that I have dinner with in the dining room. You know, the, you know, like guys like Gary and Rick that you, know, you mentioned earlier, but also people like, you know, Bill, the security guard on the visiting side. When you walk by every day, he greets you and says, hello, Denise in the, in the dining room. Right, right. Uh, you know, these are people that Denise every day probably says something that makes me laugh. And she always gives us a hard time when we're in the, in the dining room. And I, and I think that's great. And I, those are the relationships that I also remember and, you know, with guys like yourself and the media relations department and, and, you know, just people, not just that are the, the guys that everyone sees on television. And I, and I, and of course I will say that Marty Brenneman though is one of the, the best parts about coming to work every day. Cause he will make you laugh. And I, one of the, the real joys of the job over these last 11 seasons has been knowing him and, and listening to his uh, Marty isms over the years. <laughs> into some of the uh some of the things going on in reds camp this year i know it's uh your 11th season going in and it's quite a different season compared to years past a lot of the jobs are not uh decided it's a completely different direction as far as the teams getting younger uh some of the big name players aren't in in good year anymore they've gone on to greener where well, i don't want to say greener pastures but gone on to other teams and different camps and um can you give us just a – we'll start off with a first a brief overview of this team and where you see the direction it's heading. It's definitely gotten younger. The The one thing that really struck me when I got here is, man, there's a lot of people I just don't know. And it wasn't just the guys that were the, the prospects that were already in the system. It was really all a lot of the newbies that were acquired in these trades and uh, just having to introduce myself to a whole new fleet of people. Again, getting back to the building relationships. I know that doesn't happen overnight, but you, you start by just saying hello and introducing yourself and then doing an interview eventually. And, and that's really where it began. And it's new. It's definitely a young team. They're not expected to contend. I think they kind of wear that a little bit. They know they don't like it. They, you know, they want to surprise people. So we'll see what, how they can do. It's going to be a learning year for sure. I mean, last second half of last year was definitely a learning year. And now there's going to be some, some more of that happening on the fly. But the one thing that has struck me is there's a lot of talent in, in that room, especially on the pitching side. That's where the most of the rebuilding is happening. And I mean, the lineup's generally familiar, but the pitching side is going to be really new to a lot of fans. And, but I tell you, some of the arms we've seen just in games in early going have been pretty impressive. We're going to get, I'm going to talk about the injuries, the guys who are coming rebounding from injuries. And then I'm going to, uh, we'll play like a little name game thing where I'm going to give you a name. And then I just want to hear what your, your thoughts on this person going into 2016 are, but first let's talk about Devin Mezzarocco. Is he expected to, to play this spring or, and be ready for opening day? That's the plan. I actually, he just came up. I asked about him this morning and I talked to him this morning as well. Um, he had a setback about a week to 10 days ago where he is groin around and his hip flexor were a little uh, sore and they dialed him back and he's only just started resuming catching drills and hitting within the last day or two. And uh, right now the idea is to get him into his first game sometime next week, maybe. 
and between those games and the minor league at bats that he can get, you know, he can get several at bats in a minor league game. Uh, they believe he could still be ready by opening day. Brian talked to you guys today, and we record this podcast on March 9th, which is what? What day is this? Wednesday. Um, Brian talked to you writers this morning about Devin Mezzarocco, and he kind of revealed a little bit of news as far as um, if if he were healthy 100% coming into camp, he would have probably seen some time in the outfield, according to Brian, right? Yeah, I asked about that, and and the, the, the short answer of that long answer that we were given was – no, he's not going to play left field this spring because he's got to ke- work on his catching duties. But yes, that if he had come to camp and there was no setbacks and he was on target, he probably would have gotten some time in the outfield just to have a, a chance to break things up a little bit, uh, to have another option if he needs a, a pseudo day off. So it's something that I think they would have liked to have done just to have that in their back pocket. But right now they don't view him as a left fielder. They still are really 100% invested in him catching. So with that being said, as, as far as – the confidence that the organization is showing in Devin as far as be, being their catcher, being their guy behind the plate, would would that kind of suggest that they think that, you know, he's going to be healthy and uh, not have any side effects from the hip injuries or even the, maybe even the concussions that he suffered in the past? Right now it seems that they're, they're fully set on him catching. I, you know, my personal opinion was I wondered if he should have gotten the surgery sooner last year than June. I mean, you think by the if he had gotten a little earlier, he might have been able to play some baseball in the instructional league or winter league just to test it out, and then there would be less mystery coming into camp. But I don't know the the they really didn't want to, you know you always want to avoid surgery, so I, I do get that you don't want to make a major surgery if you don't have to. They tried therapy, but I, you know I'm not 100 percent sold until I see him on the field that he's not going to open the year in the DL. I mean it's just until you see him play, what other uh, conclusions can you draw? Brian also talked about red shortstop Zach Cozart. He's uh he's due to come back here pretty soon. I think he's Brian mentioned that he could possibly be playing in the split squad game on Friday the 11th. Uh, what 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 do you have on Zach Cozart? Well, you're exactly right. The 11th is the target date. Uh, saw him on the field yesterday. Uh, he was one of the guys that hit against Rysel Iglesias. Uh, he said he felt good, and then he did some sliding uh, at second base. That was kind of one of the final hurdles, you know, running the bases and sliding. It wasn't his slide leg that he hurt, so he said it wasn't that big of a hurdle, but it was still something he had to do. But he feels normal. He's he's been doing ground balls, he's been doing running, and he's been doing hitting, and he just he just feels like he's routine again. I know it's too soon to tell, but to, this morning we found out that Michael Lorenzen was scratched from his scheduled start with uh, a mild, very mild, according to Brian Price, a mild elbow soreness issue. Uh, is it too soon to tell? Have you been able to, uh, in the time that you've talked to Brian this morning, find out more on Michael Lorenzen? Yeah, I talked to him a little while ago, and he, he said it wasn't a big deal. He felt pretty confident that uh, this would be a, a couple of days of rest. He's been getting treatment, and he, he really felt like he was in good hands with uh, Steve Bauman and the training staff. So uh, the expectation is it's a couple of days, and he'll be back out of throwing. How about Billy Hamilton? Yeah, he is definitely one of those guys I wonder might start in the DL. He took some what, uh, what they call dry swings, basically swinging at you know, no ball, no nothing, just swinging in the air. And apparently that went well. He's going to move up to the tee. Uh, but they've had to take him really slow. He he did say, I will say this, that there's no surprises here in the sense that Hamilton said he wouldn't be 100% when he got to camp. He said he'd be close. Uh, but he's the, the right shoulder has been a little sore from the one time he DH and from hitting. Uh, and he obviously does, does some throwing uh, in the workouts before that. So I think 
they're going to have to take it slow. Shoulders are a, you know, a wicked mistress when it comes to that injury. They're not as cut and dry as elbows. Usually elbows, you can kind of put a timetable on it and stick to that timetable. And shoulders can be, as Sean Marshall could tell you, could be a, a lot different. Now Marshall had, of course, had a much more serious shoulder injury than Hamilton, but it's still a shoulder. It was still operated on. And last but not least, Homer Bailey. What do you know about Homer? As far as I know, he's been good. I, he's been in the bullpen doing his bullpen sessions and his long tossing. And as far as I know, there's not been any setbacks. And right now the target is to have him join the rotation sometime in May. Before we get into our, our name game, so to speak, let's uh, talk a little bit about a, a hot topic that's been going on in the in the Reds camp uh, this spring as well as into the offseason after Aroldis Chapman was dealt. Who's going to be the closer of this team? I guess it would be J.J. Hoover based on just who's here and the fact that he really did a nice job last year setting up for Chapman. Um, I think if you wanted to do that, that would be a safe decision and it'd be fine. I think he could do the job. I, I, I would think, though, if they wanted to go outside the box, they could look at someone like Lorenzen uh, or uh, Finnegan who have either closer or relief experience uh, and uh, – I think those guys would be pretty electric to see, but I, I think no matter how they do it, uh, Hoover's in, the, in that eighth or ninth inning. All right, let's get to our a little word association. Just tell me a little bit, Mark, about your first thoughts on the on the guys that I'm going to mention on your. Uh, no, no, I, I promise to keep it on the up and up. But uh, some of the the performances you've seen, I know it's early in spring as far as games go, but you know uh, I'm going to mention some uh, some names, and I just want to hear your your hot take on some of these guys. We'll start off with A. Eugenio Suarez. Tell you what, so far so good. Uh, you know, he was a, kind of a surprise in camp, not in camp, but I'm sorry, in the season when, when he replaced Cozart in June that he could hit so well. And he's been still hitting here in spring training, and he's looked pretty good. And And I think the one big thing was his defense because he's moving from a shortstop where he was was prone to errors. He had a lot of range, but he did make some errors last year, and now he's going to third base. And so far the reviews have been good. He's looked good going to his backhand and his glove side. He's looked good just kind of throwing and showing enough range. And he feels comfortable there, and that's that's a big deal because he really didn't play much there professionally since his rookie ball year in the minor leagues. So that's that's a, an optimistic start for him. And what do you think of uh, Suarez? You mentioned him defensively. How about offensively? Have you seen anything uh, that, that kind of stands out for you? Just that he's been hitting well to all fields. He, he's shown a little power. Um, he, he's not going to be a light punch-and-judy hitter. Uh, you know, It's going to be hard to make up what Todd Frazier did. I mean, he had 35 homers last year. Had a lot of offense and was kind of a spark guy. I don't know if he'll be that. It's 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 probably too much to say he's going to crush thirty homers, but if he hits twenty to twenty five, they'd be thrilled with that. Cody Reed, yeah, impressive man. I, I I think he's got the goods just from what little I've seen. I've seen two games. I've seen him on the side, and he's just a big, strong left-handed guy who can throw gas and has other pitches too. He's not just a fastball, you know, one-trick pony. So he. Uh, could very well be the, the the real gem of that Johnny Cueto trade. Jose Peraza. Only until recently, I have only I haven't seen much of his offense. He he kind of struggled in the first couple of games, but uh, his last couple, we've starting to see what he was advertised as. He's just getting getting hits, and he's fast. Uh, you know, you see the stolen base numbers are pretty high, but you can see his speed, and he's not afraid to take an extra base. Scott Shebler. Power. He hit a towering homer uh, over in Scottsdale against the Giants uh, last night, and oh, Bumgarner. off Bumgarner or less. And uh, I've seen it a couple times. He can 
hit really well. And I, I remember I talking to him a couple weeks ago about has he ever been to Great American Ballpark. And I said, it's going to be good to you. And he told him that Jock Peterson, his old teammate with the Dodgers, who came in second to Frazier in the home run derby, told him he was going to enjoy Great American Ballpark immensely. How about Robert Stevenson? I only saw the one game. I missed the B game, but he looked good in his game, and he's definitely right there with Reed, I would think, maybe even a little closer since he's got some AAA experience that he's definitely got to be one of the finalists, I would think, if not one of the in the rotation uh, come you know when they break camp. How about uh, Jake Cave? Interesting guy. Uh, no power, really, but he's been hitting the ball, and he's been running. He's been aggressive, and he's a Rule 5 guy, and that's a little bit of a different situation because if they don't, keep them they, they could lose them uh, and send them back to the Yankees so uh still waiting to see you know it's early you know guys can you know Brendan this time last year Brendan Bosch and Chris Domingos were lighting up spring training so you got to kind of let things settle out but I think he could be definitely in the running to make the team and last but not least Jim Day oh my god <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with that guy but, you know, he's he's been putting in the effort. He's been taking his abuse from Marty on a daily basis. And I, I have to give him a lot of credit just for hanging in there that he hasn't gone home yet. Mark, it's been a pleasure here. The fastest 41 minutes and 15 seconds that I think I've I've experienced here in Goodyear. Uh, I really appreciate you going on and chatting with us. Uh, I, I think we should probably do this again. What do you think? I would love to. Thank you. It has gone by quick, and I really did enjoy talking with you. Thank you very much. There you go, Mark Sheldon. Thanks a lot. We'll uh, catch up with you down the road. Mark's an easy guy to talk to, and I think that's one of the main reasons we've been friends for so many years. He knows his baseball, and he certainly knows a lot about the Cincinnati club. We probably could have lengthened the show to another couple of hours, but instead we'll just have to have Mark on again soon. Thank yous go out this week to Mark Sheldon, the Cincinnati Reds, and my pal Lisa Braun. A very special thanks to my main man, Nick Prince, the best technical director in the world of podcasting. Without Nick, this podcast would not exist. Music featured on this week's podcast was by Tao and the Get Down Stay Down. Their new album is called A Man Alive, and it's available now on iTunes. That's all from Goodyear, Arizona. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jamie Ramsey. Expect good news. to say, not to say, I wasn't grieving, believing, not to say, not to say, not to say, I want another, just like the others, I Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.